0: If you ask a developer what the best day of their life was or is, they would likely point you to the day they graduated college or the day they got married or the day they had their first child or the day they built their first building. If you ask that same developer what the worst day of their life was, they will say June 14th, 2019. On June 14th, 2019, the Housing Stability and Tenant Protection Act was passed In New York, and it essentially gave pause to every single developer across New York in terms of whether or not they will ever make money again on any place that has rent-stabilized units. So a panic has sort of ensued since this law was, let's say, pushed through the legislature. Um, A lot of people have pointed to the fact that there's glaring inconsistencies in the act and it's creating a ton of confusion and some developers won't fix things that they should now because there's no incentive to do so and this actually hurts affordable housing more than helps. This is way, way, way above my pay grade but I did want to talk to you today about some of the things that you as real estate brokers and agents need to know in assessing the absolute insane landmine that this act actually is. So I'm going to go through some of the top questions that are being asked and tell you sort of short, succinct answers. There always should be an asterisk next to anything that a lawyer says, because the thing that we pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for in law school is to be able to say it depends. And it does. If you have questions, email me or call me. I'm happy to help. My partner, Stephen Kirkpatrick here at Romer de is amazing in landlord tenant law, and he can help as well. So... Are these changes permanent? Yep, they're permanent as of June 14th, 2019. There is a lawsuit underway now in the federal courts essentially arguing that this act was unconstitutional. That's going to take a very, very long time to play through, and I am not really bullish on the prospects of um, the developers, the landlords, et cetera, winning uh, in any way whatsoever. So it's here to stay. This is the big question I'm asked. Can rents be increased upon the vacancy of a stabilized or controlled unit? Nope. Remember back in the day when someone left a rent-stabilized unit and that person would be insane? You would be able to hike the rent up. You'd sometimes be able to deregulate that actual unit itself or at least get significantly more per month with your new tenant that comes in. That is essentially gone completely. So you can no more get any low rent or longevity bonuses that have been awarded in prior years. You also have the elimination of the high-rent, high-income, and high-rent vacancy deregulations from rent regulations before June 14, 2019. So basically, a place is rent-stabilized. A place remains rent-stabilized. That's a huge departure from what it was before. What does that mean for rents? Rent-stabilized rents are going to go up based on what the rent control board says they're going to go up you're not going to get any more bonuses anymore. You're not going to be able to really increase it for any number of reasons that you used to. So during this time period, let's say right now, you're not going to see rent increases more than 1% to 2% a year. It's just not going to happen in any way whatsoever, specifically under de Blasio. And there could be a different administration in place that sees things differently, but you're looking at 1% to 2%. A really, really big note about this Back in the day, you used to have landlords that would recover units for their own personal use. And let's say they bought a six-unit building and they said, oh, my cousin has to live here. Oh, and my ex-wife is living above me, which is weird. Oh, and my three kids are moving here. You can't do that anymore. Under the Act, landlords can now only recover one unit for personal use. And the landlord's recovery must now be for immediate and compelling necessity for use as a primary residence of the landlord and or... His or her immediate family member. Now, you can't even do it, by the way, in that scenario, if the tenant's 62 or older, is disabled, or has been a tenant for 15 years or more. This act actually provides a statutory cause of action if the landlord makes a fraudulent statement regarding personal use and the tenant can recover money. Basically, what you used to be able to do in taking a building and saying you're going to live there. You really can't anymore. And good luck doing that in Kings County in the first place. The courts will swallow you whole if you try to as a landlord. And the fact that there's a statutory cause of action means that the courts mean business and the legislature means business about this. So it's really important to note that when you counsel potential people that are buying a place and they say to you, oh, well, look, I'm just going to say I'm going to move in there, you can't really do that anymore. And if you do, you can only do that for one unit. And one unit out of, let's say, an eight unit or a 10 unit building is not going to do much in terms of improving your rent roll in any way whatsoever. The other thing to point out, and we should talk in greater length about this, is doing capital improvements on the building and on the individual unit apartments themselves. You're really not going to make much money if you're a developer or a landlord and you start fixing stuff. You used to be able to amortize the cost of the repairs that you put in and charge the tenant more, and you can still do that, but there are so many limitations, and the amount that you can actually increase is so limited that a lot of landlords have essentially said, look, these places are gonna fall into disrepair because I'm not spending money doing this. I have specific percentages for you um, that I can talk to you about if you wanna reach out to me, but the global thing you should know is that a landlord can't just gut a place and hope that he or she is gonna get way more rent than they would have beforehand. It just doesn't work that way anymore. The last thing to sort of keep in mind, security deposits. Folks, it's one month now. Not two months, not one month and change, just one month. And those fees, those pesky fees that you're allowed to charge, 20 bucks now. Now there's a huge sort of back and forth between whether or not the legislature intended brokers or managing agents or whoever to be part and parcel of this $20 an application fee rule. REBNY has gone back and forth a little bit. Um, Our guidance is do not charge more than $20. If you do charge more than $20, make sure you get uh, a get out of jail free card from anyone that's telling you to charge more than $20. I am telling you the legislature is going to come down on this hard the city, which is this independent newspaper uh, based in New York, did uh, basically an expose on real estate brokers. Uh, they found that many of them were charging more than $20 per application. They spoke to people in the legislature and they're going to close up this loophole. It's just bad PR and bad press. There's way more that's in this act. I just wanted to give you a snapshot where you can take this and work on it and work with it. I'm happy to help in any way I can. This is Daniel Gershberg again. I'm a partner with Romer DeBoss and I am here to help in any way that I can.